Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And as always, we are your fabulous co-hosts. In today's episode, we're going to go through seven steps to planning resilient transportation systems. And we have Candace Foster with Modern Mobility Partners back with us today. She joined us in a previous episode to talk about equity and transportation planning. And now she's here to talk about resilience. So Candace, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Uh, yes, it's nice to have you back. So you're probably wondering what we're talking about when we refer to resilience. And there's a lot of different definitions of resilience. So first, I'll start out with giving you the official definition from the Federal Highway Administration. And they define resilience as the ability to anticipate, prepare for, and adapt to changing conditions and withstand, respond to, and recover rapidly from disruptions. So adapting to changing conditions and responding and recovering rapidly from disruptions. So, you know, there's a growing amount of disasters everywhere. And it's from landslides to wildfires on, you know, it could be major hurricanes and flood events. That's what happens to a lot here in Atlanta. Or snowfall with climate change, there's a growing need to address resilience and transportation planning. So besides natural hazards, it's also important to think about resilience in terms of, you know, system disruptors such as cyber attacks, especially when transportation becomes more technically advanced and connected. So we talked in episode one about planning for connected and autonomous vehicles. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, we also don't want to forget about the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of us noticed that there was a surge of e-commerce during the pandemic and continues and that there's a big effect on that on the supply chain and freight deliveries. So all those Amazon purchases we've all been making, myself included, has a major impact on the supply chain. You know, what's the driving force of this? The, the transportation system is critical when responding to disruptions. And that's why we care about it as transportation planners. We have to consider how to respond to both short and long-term hazards. In addition, in compliance with the FAST Act, which was the prior federal authorization for infrastructure, states and MPOs must consider resiliency as part of the planning process. And with the new Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, or IIJA, also known as the bipartisan infrastructure law has also resulted in a large focus on climate change as one of the new federal planning emphasis areas. And the uh, reauthorization for infrastructure did uh, result in eight new planning emphasis areas, which I'm sure is a whole nother podcast in and of itself. But resilience and climate change was a big part of that. Yeah. And, you know, I think this, the FAST Act and this new bill is in response to, you know, how important transportation is to everyday life. You know, I don't think we, we, we do because we're transportation planners, but I think generally speaking, people don't realize how much they rely on the transportation system 
Yeah. And so so when an event or a system disruptor takes place, um, you know, the public still has the needs to get around. Um, and we as transportation planners and engineers have to try to ensure that that transportation system stays in place. So things like evacuation routes, making sure that there are alternative ways for people to get their resources um, and other needs like groceries. So a resilient transportation system means that it's one that reacts to these needs of the public in times of crisis or those system disruptors. Um, so for example, uh, here in Atlanta, we had a big interstate bridge collapse uh, several years ago now, and that was a major disruptor for thousands of commuters. Freight major, major. It's a major yeah. freight corridor. It's a big commuter corridor, and so the transportation system and its resilience was really tested. And luckily, uh, Georgia's Department of Transportation was able to repair that bridge in a short amount of time. But that's not always the case. So uh, if you've heard in the news lately, there was a very devastating bridge collapse near Pittsburgh. Um, luckily, nobody was killed, but the entire bridge fell into the ravine. Another one is I-40 over the Mississippi River near Memphis is closed indefinitely because of cracks in the bridge itself. And so they're being tested of how resilient their transportation system is. Another example that I like to think about when thinking about resilience is uh, our evacuation routes here in Georgia. So our evacuation routes are primarily for hurricanes, but GDOT has taken extra measure to ensure that these evacuation routes stay clear during those events, during those weather events. So what they've been doing is they've been cutting all of the trees in the medians and the shoulders along the major interstates and along those evacuation routes, primarily on I-16 between Macon and Savannah. And it's really just a measure to protect that route from blocks in the road. So while people are like, oh, no, they're cutting down the trees, um, it's really <laughs> it's really meant to keep drivers, motorists um, safe and make sure that, you know, they can get out of the way of danger. Also, do you guys remember the major ice event in 2014? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, in that college. That would be Snowmageddon. <laughs> yes, yeah, Snow So I was in college in North Carolina and um, go Heels. Oprah Winfrey is a, he's a Carolina <laughs> fan, Carolina basketball fan. Uh, my dad told me he was actually stuck in traffic on the highway for about four hours. A lot of people got stuck in the traffic for upwards of 24 hours. So do you guys remember what yeah. you, you guys are doing during that time? Oh, Kelly, I'll let, I'll let you take over. It is ingrained in my mind. Um, so there were a lot of people that were stuck for eight, 12 hours. That was not unheard of or, you know, stuck overnight. Um, Jennifer Zahn, the other owner of Modern Mobility Partners, I remember her telling me that she got stuck going home and had to stay overnight in the lobby in a hotel because there were no rooms available. Like literally she's sleeping out in the lobby. It was insane. Um, but all that to say, my experience was I was work, I was at work downtown Atlanta. At the time, I lived up in the northern suburbs and my oldest child's school had called as they called all the parents and said, Hey, 
Uh, we're going to close the school at 11. Come get your kids. It's going to snow at some point today, maybe this afternoon. And I was like, it is not snowing in Atlanta. And so, <laughs> and I had only been living here about two years at the time, by the way. So, <laughs> uh, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, we were all thinking, <laughs> no, this is, this is, they're overreacting as usual. I know. I know. I totally blew it off. And so I went and got my child and then I was working at home and I still had another child that I need to get. But he was at the daycare and he was only two years old and they hadn't they said they were staying open till four. So I was like, I'm going to get some work done this afternoon. The daycare is only a few miles from the house. And so at two o'clock, I noticed snow starting to come down. So I was like, okay, I need, let me go get them. So I go to leave the neighborhood and I was only allowed to turn right. I couldn't turn left. It was all shut down. And I was thinking to myself, geez, these people cannot drive. Like, really? This is shutting it down. There's a few <laughs> flurries. But <laughs> then I go and after the Cliff Notes version is, is I got stuck twice. Um, my car could not move and, um, I was scared out my mind because I was in a little car going up a hill and I was fishtailing. Oh my mm -hmm. God, that was scary. But anyway, and so I ended up, um, having to ditch my car on the side of the road after about three or four hours. At this point, it's getting dark out, could not get to the daycare as well as 20 other parents couldn't get to the daycare. I had to walk three miles home in the dark in clothes that were not snow weather worthy. And my son had to stay overnight in daycare. And then the next day, I had to have a coworker come in his truck and come get my car and my child. <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, there are a lot of stories like that. I was yeah. lucky. I only lived about a mile and a half from the office. So I was able to get home. It still took me an hour, but I was able to get home pretty quickly, all things considered. My biggest challenge was figuring out what type of beer and pizza to get from the grocery store. <laughs> uh, I envy That's you, Kristen. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I just, uh, did you guys ever see that movie Dumb and Dumber? Yes, of course. Okay. Classic. So, you know, okay. So, Jim Carrey and Jeff, what's his name? I can't remember his last name. They're, they're, they're coming in this little scooter, the two of them riding on this little scooter in the snow, and they show up and there's like snot frozen to their face. Yeah. That's what I felt yeah. like when I walked into the neighborhood, <laughs> trekking in the dark in the snow after three. Oh, God, I still have PTSD over this thing. Anyway, so and, and the thing that's funny is that we only got two inches of snow. Two inches. Yeah, but we had a and ton of ice. Two inches. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Lots the issue is the black ice. And so I'm telling you what, after that, man, they get that salt out there right quick. Mm -hmm. Anytime they know that there might be some snow coming or black ice. And so it hasn't been near the problem as it was in 2014. But here, eight years later, we're still talking about it, right? Yes, so, yes. So after yeah. that, GDOT implemented a number of changes. They installed weather information sensors. They updated their emergency management software. I think they made it mobile. So mobile response teams could uh, update it on the fly. And they also expanded their ITS and created multi-agency response teams. So I think part of resilience is really learning from experience and adapting to the events 
And because at the end of the day, you can't really predict, you know, when and how a system disruptor will take place. But with a more resilient system, you can um, better react and get back to that state of normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You learn the hard way, right? Mm Yeah. And that's usually what it takes. And then you realize, okay, well, here's some things that we can do so that this doesn't happen in this area. Um, So what is our role as transportation planners? Well, I think it's just that. I think it's identifying where those sensitive areas are, where there are vulnerable, vulnerable places in the transportation network and going ahead and identifying those and identifying what kind of solutions could be put in place so that if something does happen, um, you can prepare for it as, as best as possible. Yeah. And it's it's really incorp- important for us to incorporate resilience throughout the planning process. So, you know, have conversations about what resilience is, what type of disruptors we want to plan for. Ensure that you have goals and objectives related to resilience, whether it's for natural disasters or cybersecurity or man-made disasters. Exactly. Yep. So um, let's go ahead and jump right into the seven steps for planning a resilient transportation system. So Candace, I'm going to hand it over to you. All right. So these seven steps incorporate the U.S. Climate Resilience Toolkit. That includes five steps of resilience. Uh, we'll link those to the show notes. However, we added a few of our own steps. We hoped that will provide additional support to help guide planning for resilient transportation systems. So step one is to define resilience for your project or your organization. So despite the FHWA definition of resilience, there have been multiple definitions of resilience established by various MPOs and state DOTs across the country. For example, the Minnesota DOT, which I assume has a lot of snow up there, uh, defines resilience as reducing vulnerability and ensuring redundancy and reliability to meet essential travel needs. Um, While some are more complex, like Minnesota DOT and included topics like preparation and future recovery of the transportation system, some are a little bit more, even even more expansive. For example, the Northeast Ohio Area Wide Coordination Agency. Woo! <laughs> definition <laughs> is pretty robust. So they have a robust definition that says resiliency is a process for managing complex infrastructures rather than a single outcome. As such, resiliency as a framework takes an adaptive life cycle approach to tackling the dynamic challenges that confront today's complex infrastructure systems. Embedded in it is the capability to protect its assets, anticipate and detect threats, prevent risks of known failures, withstand anticipated disruptions, and respond and recover rapidly when the worst does happen. So that's detailed. Yes. (laughs) I I feel so they kind of it's it's like everything in the kitchen sink in that definition. Yes. I feel like as you were reading it, have you ever gone through like one of those vision statement exercises where you're trying to put a vision statement together and it's just full of a bunch of buzzwords, but when you put them together, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying this doesn't make sense. North Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordination Agency, you have given a lot of thought to this definition. Yes. yes. A, a lot. Yes. So I would suggest planners take a look at their own local MPOs or other state agencies to see if they have a definition of resilience at hand. But also note resilience definitions might be embedded in terms like regarding safety or reducing vulnerability 
if not, consider developing your own working definition for a project or plan about resilience that you're working on. Yeah, you know, as part of the long-range transportation planning process, um, you know, one way that you can incorporate resilience into that is to include it as a separate goal as in part of the plan and define it. And what do you want to focus resilience on for your region? You mm-hmm. know, and that's something that we've been, um, you know, learning more about and working with the Chattanooga Regional Planning Agency. They were fortunate enough to be a pilot project for the Federal Highway Administration where Federal Highway came in and did a workshop. And there is a um, lot of discussion on just defining what does resilience mean to this region. So so it's important to do that, to define it, but even include it as part of your goals of the plan. Yeah. Great suggestion, Kelly. So step two. So once you have a definition of resilience at hand, step two is to understand and explore hazards for your region by using data that's already available to you. So this can be both qualitative and quantitative. And both Kelly and Kirsten know I am big on community engagement. So this could be a great exercise on working with the community and asking, you know, what assets the community cares about. These assets could include things like schools, shopping centers, places of worship, historic sites. Um, for example, consider where a lot of the COVID testing and vaccine sites were in your area. For me, um, I was in grad school and Georgia Tech opened up their parking lots to the public for COVID testing. And I know the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is clo- also close by me, was used as the major testing and vaccination uh, site. So what about you all? Well... My major COVID testing site was at the Napa Auto Parts down the street from my house. It was not Georgia Tech. And side note, unrelated, but when we went there last to get tested, and we were negative, but just to get tested again, um, Dr. Eugene from Married to Medicine actually stuck the swab up my nose um, <laughs> and my 16-year-old. So that was kind of cool. They were actually filming Married to Medicine there, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but actually, so, you know, as far as like assets, in, in all seriousness, like transportation assets in, in my area of Atlanta and Decatur, um, the first thing that comes to mind, we have a railroad track that goes through um, the city. And then, um, so we've got these um, underpasses um, going underneath um, the the railroads. We have little railroad bridges. And if there was flooding or something happened there where we couldn't get through there, we only have a couple of ways to get across that railroad track. I mean, that could really cause a problem from getting from one part of the city to the other, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. Yeah. And I think, you know, if if you're doing an assessment, community assets should most definitely include hospitals. Mm. Yeah. Fire stations, you know, all of your emergency response, because those those are the places that if if something does happen, you need to ensure there's reliable access. Other assets that I think about, you've mentioned schools, community centers or or places where Mm -hmm. they could set up for uh, temporary shelters like Mm -hmm. uh, indoor uh, sports facilities, community centers, those types of assets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what do you, I mean, what about grocery stores? Yeah. I mean, even if, you know, cause like even when we were all quarantined, we still ordered our groceries. Somebody mm-hmm. had to go get them and deliver them to us. Absolutely. You know, you know we need our milk, <laughs> bread and eggs. Any, anytime <laughs> right. there's a snowflake. 
That's right. true. That's right. Yes. So community assets are just one piece of understanding the hazards. So the next piece is to explore the natural hazards that are present in your area. So for us, it's flooding, on occasion, ice and snowstorms, or tornadoes, of course, excessive heat. And for your area, it might be some other weather related hazards like rock slides or landslides or wildfires. And use data to help support this exploration of hazards. There are many data sources provided by federal agencies. Um, there is the Sea Level Rise Bureau by NOAA. There are future climate projections. Uh, there's a storms database, uh, lots more other uh, data that can be available. And these can be found in the U.S. Climate Resilience Toolkit. Step three is to conduct a vulnerability assessment. So with the data you collected, you identified community assets, you identified the natural hazards present in your area. You can begin assessing the vulnerability of all these assets together. So we won't go through all the steps of a vulnerability assessment, but the FHWA does have a uh, vulnerability assessment and adaption framework, which we will link below in the show notes. And that provides step-by-step guidance. Overall, however, this vulnerability assessment will help you better understand the sensitivities, risk, and potential adaptive capability of the assets you have identified. So next step, step four is to investigate your options. So do some research regarding how other communities are incorporating resilience, how other communities have stood from various system disruptors, as well as investigate ways you can reduce the risk to the transportation system. So again, the U.S. Climate Toolkit also provides case studies on their website for this step. So Candace, I feel like this step is about setting up that redundance in your transportation system. And by that, I mean, making exactly. sure, yeah, making sure there are always multiple ways to get from point A to point B, but really mm-hmm. focusing, you know, those, those on your community assets. So ensuring that, you know, your residential areas always have access to the hospital. Um, or that your emergency response locations, like your fire stations and your police stations, have access to your major office facilities, your your residential neighborhoods, um, and just ensuring that there's always alternate routes. And maybe not mm-hmm. all vehicular alternate routes, but some other yeah. way to get to people in need. Mm-hmm. And can we talk about that for just a minute? You know, what about the people that don't own a car. Yeah. And they need to evacuate. How do they evacuate? You know? So I think it's also coordinating with at some point and it, and maybe it's later in the process, um, in the long range planning process, for instance, you may not do this, but coordinating with the transit operator, maybe if there's transit in your region, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's gotta be some, some way to evacuate people that don't have access to vehicles. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I I think this is, this is another example of how important equity is in the planning yeah. process. Yeah. Because when you do think about these redundancies, I think a lot of times we think about, oh, well, we just need alternate routes. Well, no, you also you also need plans for people who aren't going to use the roadways. You know, how are how are yeah. they going to get out? How are they going to get their things out? Mm hmm. And and how are they going to get out of that area? So I think that's really a good point, Kelly, to ensure yeah. that your resiliency includes all modes, including public transportation and other transportation services that might be available in that community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Step five is to develop resilience metrics. So you, de- you define resilience, you've made it a goal or a priority for your project and plan. So how are you going to measure it? So for example, the Miami-Dade MPO had a goal to, quote, reduce the vulnerability and increase the resiliency of critical infrastructure to the impacts of climate trends and events. And their performance measure was the number of highway lane and centerline miles within the 100-year floodplain. So a floodplain basically shows you what areas will be inundated in an event of a major flood event. Some other uh, metrics include the reduction of percentage of roadways in poor or fair condition, the number of communities with hazard mitigation or coastal adaptation plans, or if the project addresses a critical transportation infrastructure. So if it's on a critical roadway, like your major interstates. Yeah, so um, I think... I think this is really an important step to, you know, ensure how you're going to measure resilience. And I think there's a lot of ways that it can be done. So one one thing where you can look at both equity and some of this vulnerability is the Center for Disease Control uh, has a social vulnerability index. Mm-hmm. And there's several different categories that it includes, but it basically will tell you certain areas within a community that are more vulnerable to disruptors. Um, and, mm-hmm. and some of that does include like areas where you have a higher percentage of zero, zero vehicle households. I think that, you know, there's a lot of MPOs that utilize that tool, but they're also trying to create their own tools. So I know the Atlanta Regional Commission has been developing an isolation index uh, so basically it pinpoints areas within Metro Atlanta that have limited mobility to those community assets. And I think they focus on emergency response, hospitals, schools, and maybe, maybe some retail like grocery stores. Uh, but it basically gives a rating indicating which areas, um, are more vulnerable to being isolated, uh, during some sort of either weather event or other disruptor. Yeah, and we, we've used actually both of those metrics on a couple of different projects, both ARC's isolation index, um, as well as the CDC's social vulnerability index. So, yeah. So check Great. your MPO. They may have a tool under development as well. Yeah. Oh, and listener that may not be a transportation nerd like us, when we say MPO, we mean Metropolitan Planning Organization. <laughs> yes. We keep on saying that like everybody knows, but probably everyone that listens to this are in the transportation industry. Otherwise, they might get bored. But <laughs> <laughs> so step six is to prioritize and plan. So consider incorporating resilience into your cost benefit analyses and product prioritization. Kirsten Kelly, since you have more expertise in this area, can you think of other methods of doing so? Yeah, I th- I think definitely incorporating it into a benefit cost analysis is a possibility. I am sure that there is some type of research that TRB or somebody has done that has a methodology of how you quantify the resilience, mm-hmm. whether it's using some sort mm-hmm. of index. And I think that you can you can find a way to demonstrate the benefit of a certain project. Um, and it providing resilience to your transportation network. I think that's really also critical if you're going after discretionary funding, which we've had mm-hmm. episodes about grant strategies and the different grant programs, but uh, resilience and 
um, adverse effects of climate change are major components of this new bill, like we mentioned earlier in this episode. So planning for resilience early and planning often is going to help you uh, get funding for your projects down the road. Yeah. And and then as part of the metropolitan transportation planning process, one of the things that you can do is incorporate resilience into your project prioritization, as Candace had mentioned. And um, to do that, you could say, okay, if this project falls on a critical or vulnerable transportation asset that was identified earlier by one of the earlier steps that Candace mentioned, or could have been identified by somebody else, uh, keep in mind, just because you didn't develop it for your project, someone else may have already done it. So always check to see what's already been done. But if a project falls on a critical or vulnerable asset, that project perhaps gets a higher score and, you know, increases its rank on the priority list. Uh, similarly, with the social vulnerability index we talked about from the CDC, if a project improves access to a socially vulnerable area, uh, that's another way to prioritize projects as well. Mm-hmm. And lastly, the final step is to take action. So once these resilience projects are planned and begin to become implemented, make sure to continually measure effectiveness, seek input, feedback, and be sure to leverage any successes for future resilience projects. So celebrate your successes loudly and proudly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think all of these are good. Thank you, Candace, for walking Thank through you. these yes. steps. Once again, you did a fabulous yeah. job. Thank I you. Know. I think. So I have a couple thoughts. The first one is when we talk about resilience projects, we don't necessarily mean, you know, putting in a roadway that has, you know, some technologically advanced material that's going to make it more weatherproof or heat resistant. Resilience projects can be simple. They can be operation focused. They don't have to be capital or infrastructure. Uh, they could be as simple as ensuring that your snow barns or your sand barns, whatever they call them, are located mm-hmm. in the proper areas across your state or across the region to minimize the the area that that those uh, that those trucks have to travel to get the sand or the salt spread. So they can they can be smaller projects like that, or like cutting down trees that are too close to the roadway. Um, so. That's my first thought. And I forgot my second thought, so I'll think about it later. <laughs> well, and and we talked a little bit about this earlier, but, you know, I do think there's some low-hanging fruit for transportation planners. You know, as a planner, you might be thinking, well, I don't have the resources or the budget or what have you to do a full-on inventory analysis of critical and vulnerable assets, Right. You don't have to do that. I mean, that's always a, 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 in an ideal world. Yeah, that'd be great. But most people don't have that yet. Uh, and so, you know, we go back to the social vulnerability index, but hey, it's already there. It's done mm-hmm. for you. It's in geographic information system, GIS maps online. It's free. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. And, um, you just, you can take a look at that and, Make sure that the projects you are planning are improving mobility to those areas. Um, and so just if, if that's the only thing that you do, that, that's your step in the right direction, right? So, you know, it's a scalable approach, right? Yeah. 
And, um, and I think that, you know, resilience is one of those things where sometimes if you're on the consultant side, like we are, you, you kind of have to educate agencies on what resilience means because there are so many mm-hmm. definitions and it, it does seem yeah. to be a little buzz wordy. Mm-hmm. Like you say resilient mm-hmm. and like people are like, yeah, resilient. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what you, I don't know what you mean. So, um, so I just don't think it's top of mind for people, right? Like I don't, right. I don't yeah. think it's top of mind that we need to create these redundancies when there are other competing priorities. Like we don't have enough capacity or we need, you know, more trails, but adding those trails can, can be redundant. And they can provide that resiliency. So Mm -hmm. thinking about your projects through a different lens, I guess, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then and just one other example is, you know, maybe investing more in, say, improving bridge conditions. You know, we talked a lot about bridge collapses earlier, you know, do uh, an analysis of bridges in poor condition and, you know, set aside more money to invest in and rehabilitating or replacing those. Uh, so it's just one more thought. There's new funding out there. So listen yes. to our previous bridges, episode. Yes. Yes. Listen to yes. our previous episode. I believe it's episode six. And it'll tell you about new bridge programs. And um, I believe it's the Protect program that is focused on resilience type projects. So, Candace, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, what do you what do you think is the most critical step out of these seven steps? Um, I think the most critical step, like Kelly said, is utilizing the data that's already available to you to help you def- identify those assets that are critical to the transportation system. So we will link in the show notes all the resources that we found through our research and all the resources out there that are we found that are available for this exercise of identifying kind of your vulnerability. Excellent. Yeah, I would agree. And then I think, you know, take steps to try to measure, evaluate and prioritize. Mm-hmm. It, yes. It, it it doesn't have to be quantitative. Like, I, I, I can't stress that enough that when you're evaluating projects, you can use qualitative measures. It doesn't always have to be mm-hmm. numbers. True. So I think it's I think it's important if you can't find the right measure to resilience, then think about qualitative ones as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Well, that was another exciting episode um, touching on a very pressing topic. So thank you, Candice, for uh, being a guest on our podcast once again. Thank you for Um, having me. (laughs) Yes. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Just a friendly reminder that if you are a nationally certified planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners or AICP, this episode is eligible for AICP Continuing Maintenance Credits or CM Credits. You can find all of our podcasts on the AICP CM uh, log at the American Planning Association website at planning.org. Just do a search for Modern Mobility Partners and all of our episodes will come up. Uh, If you want to learn more about how we can help you at Modern Mobility Partners, just go to our website at modernmobilitypartners.com and don't forget to subscribe and even better, review our podcast. You can find us on any of your podcast listening apps. Over and out. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. 
If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.